Before we begin, a disclaimer. This podcast is for information only. I am not a mental health or medical professional, nor are my guests unless otherwise stated. My guests and I do not speak for or represent any recovery programs or workshops. I do not sell ads on this podcast, and I do not make any money from it. And finally, I want to warn you that some episodes may contain content about emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, which some listeners may find triggering or dysregulating. Hello, and welcome to the Loving Parent Podcast. If you're new here, this is where we explore the ideas of becoming our own loving parents and reparenting our trauma to build resilience. If you've been here before, welcome back. My name is Brita, and I'm your host. I almost feel like we ought to take questions. <laughs> We're going to suggest that. Okay. Okay. Any, any question? You want to say anything I else for I have something, but okay. I forgot. Okay. That's what we do now. Yeah. <laughs> it comes back around. Brita? Yeah. Can you I'm, share about your book? About the book? The book? Yeah. Um, when I did the curriculum, uh, part of the grant was to write a book. And so it's called, It's Never Too Late to Be a Happy Child. And the first part of the book is about parenting ourselves and how to reparent ourselves. And then the second part of the book is about how to parent children, little kids. And it's pretty much interchangeable because how we parent ourselves should be how we parent other kids. And I mean, I, I saw that's what my mom did. The way she treated us, she treated herself the same way. The shit really did roll downhill. I want to share something. Okay, go ahead. The, our grandson, when he came into the world, uh, I was there when he was born, and his mother was 18, 19 years old, and I was there when he was born, and I was snapping pictures as fast as I could, and the doctor kept turning around going, are you okay? I said, like, yeah, I'm fine. I shot like four rolls of 36 exposure. And my favorite picture of any picture, anything in the whole world, is him coming out of his mother. He could see his forehead, his eyes, and his nose, and nothing else. You know, and it's like, that's a miracle, you know, to watch that. It's like I said, I'm going to do this. I didn't do it for my kids, so I'm going to do this for this kid. And I didn't know all that I was doing. My sponsor said to me years later, he left when he was eight, said, you know what, you got to be the grandfather that you deserved, not the one that you got. And I thought, that's a pretty cool way to look at it, you know, it helped me make sense. And and then he got into some legal trouble when he was 16. He had two felonies, he was locked up, had two felonies, and I was sober like 22 years. And the first two days, I wanted to get drunk. The third day... Well, the third day, I decided I was going to kill myself. And the fourth day, I come up with a brand new one, a new escape plan. <laughs> We're going to act nuts, go down to county mental health. They're going to stick you in there, shoot you full of drugs, and then you're not going to think about anything. And then 30 days later, they start to wean you off to see how you're doing. That's a great plan. You know, I'll go out for 30 days and then come back. If I still don't like it, I'll go back again. And I thought, I'm not the one locked up in jail. He's the one locked up in jail. He's the one that has the two felonies. I don't have any of this. All I have is my love for him, and I don't want him to have this pain in his life, and I have to die for that. 
you know, something wrong with this picture, you know, and I, I had never looked at it like that, but it's like, why do I have to die because somebody else has got all this going on? I can still love him, I can still support him, and I don't have to go anywhere. Now that little guy's like 27 years old now, you know, and it's just amazing, amazing. And it's because of recovery, therapy, I was, I can't, somewhere in my brain, it just has to find its way out. It's in there. Go ahead. It'll okay. come back. I don't even know what to say. Well, it says parents like and dying. I can't see hands raised, yeah. so. Um, I just want to comment. We've been doing this meeting almost three years now. I don't think we've ever had a couple speak, and this is just, what a <laughs> Thank surprise. You. I am so delighted oh, to listen you. to you two. And, um, God, there's so many things I want to say, but I just want to thank you because, you know, I was in another program years ago, and they talk about the gift of attraction when you first meet someone in that. And you guys obviously have the gift of attraction. And even though sexuality is hard for a lot of us because we've been dissociated, I think that's the spark that keeps the relationship <laughs> together when everything else fails. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe this isn't the appropriate forum to speak more about sexuality. If you'd like to, I'd like to hear more about that, how you guys have negotiated that over the years, especially being an incest survivor, because that's a really difficult issue for a lot of us. You know, I've had that experience. Um, understanding partner. Oh, difficulty. But understanding a partner. If she had not been willing to understand me, and listen to me, it would have never worked. Yeah, and, and I, I mean, said, there were years that there was hardly yeah, any intimacy nothing, between us. Nothing. And then we kind of had to learn how to fall in love again and get the spark back because I firmly believe if there's not some kind of intimacy, touching, sex, um, that's the good stuff. You know, you, you got to have a little bit of that to get through some of the awful stuff. So... But I also like, um, I read something today, it talked about, it was an article, I haven't read it yet, it says, soulmates are bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, that attraction and the willingness, I love, you guys are like, I wish I could think of it, it's like, how to have a sober relationship 101, you know? Yeah. Like, get in there, put your head down, do the work, do the work. Right. And the other thing I wanted to say is, this program that you guys did... You probably aren't interested in doing it again at your age. I'd love to do it again. We'll do it. Pass it to some of us. We'll revive yeah. it. Yeah. We need okay, this. That's yeah. easy to do. We still got all the. We have. I yeah. have all the materials. Revive I've got, it. Yeah. We have it in you, please. Yeah. It. We need it. Yeah, we yeah. can do it. We do. Just, I've talked about it quite a few times lately. So, yeah, we'll look at it. Scott. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'd like to know what it was like to be in a meeting together. Did you talk about your stuff about that person, or were you very guarded about that? How do you do a meeting with your partner in the same room? Because that's really counterintuitive. We didn't do a whole lot of that. But we had an we agreement. We did go to separate meetings. We had an agreement yeah. that we wouldn't tell about that. I can't remember. <laughs> Was something like we wouldn't talk about each other in a meeting. If we were going to talk about each if other, we, we had to go to a different meeting. It's like we couldn't be sitting in the same meeting and, you know, me telling you what a, how much I hated her or vice versa, you know. It's like go somewhere else and do that. Don't do it where we both go. Yeah. I mean, the secret to this truly is work on ourselves. Yeah. We did not work on each other. We just worked on ourselves. That's what my and piece then, of paper says. Yeah, we, we came together. And <laughs> it does, right? It does. It's the very last thing. It started off with wanting somebody. I mean, I literally broke it down. Finding somebody, finding me, finding us. And that's truly how it's been. 
this last year's, I mean, it's the Finding Us thread is in there through the whole thing, but the most powerful part of it is right now, right today. You know, I want to die with her. You know, that's... Yeah, we're going to be together. This is it. Then. This is so, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it opened up every door there was. Yeah. I mean, it just, you know, people used to say, they, it's like what we read now in other dysfunctional families. People used to come to me and say, well, nobody in my family was an alcoholic. And we said, well, I'll come anyway. It's like it, if a person is willing, all of the things that you need to do, that a person needs to do to find themselves is here. You know, it's here. That's how I found me. I mean, I've done other things, therapy, this and that and this and that. But the stable through the whole thing is. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we don't go to much anymore, but we come because we feel like this is the core. And I still go to meetings because I learn more from you guys than you're going to learn from me. There's just more of you. You know, and so when people share, I get to learn more things, more ideas to try. Maybe it pushes a button. Maybe another issue comes up. Um, it, it truly is just keep coming back. It works. Could you give us a little history lesson about what it was like in San Diego back in the 80s when you were in It was huge. There I mean, were, we need a context, a yeah, context. there were over 80 meetings a week all over the county and all the meetings were this big. There was not a small meeting any place. It was the thing. You know, there was uh, John Bradshaw and his workshops, and it, it was on Oprah and Phil Donahue, you know, it was just every place. And it was kind of the end thing. Then there got to be some problems with money, property, and prestige, which happens, the traditions tell us. Everybody just went away. And until, yeah, until the book came out several years ago, yeah, in 2006, I mean, we didn't have a book. We just had each other sharing and we would read some of the popular books, you know, like um, Women Who Love Too Much and Janet Wojtis's Adult Children of Alcoholics, um, Claudia Black's books. That's all we had. And then just sharing with each other. And there was nobody that had enough time to be anybody's sponsor. So I think that's probably how the fellow traveler idea came about, you know. How do you see us avoiding those problems of money, property, and prestige in the, in the future? And how do you see us growing this fellowship into the next decade? Um, as long as we follow the traditions, we won't get into any trouble. You know, these folks were holding step studies and charging admission. They were collecting information so they could write a book. They had secret board meetings. They had secret <laughs> board meetings, and they didn't want anybody there because they didn't want the fellowship to know what was going on. So it... It split everything up, you know. Okay. Um, thank you. I had two questions that are related. So, did your therapist know about, and how did you find a therapist that was knowledgeable? Go to a therapist and ask. Yeah, the first one first did question. not because yeah. she had, you know, it was too new then. Um, the last one did, and we always interviewed the therapist. Yes. Yeah, we would just call and say, "Do you know of anything about?" Do you support 12-step programs? And if they didn't, then it was just pointless to go because we'd be working at cross-purposes. Their answers will tell you a lot. I mean, yeah. if they're not comfortable, you're going to know they're not comfortable. Yeah. And then that says, don't go here. I mean, in the beginning, I thought, 
I was the one going to them, you know, so I should do whatever they said. And then it dawned on me that I'm paying them and I get to interview them and decide if they're right for me. So one day, you mind if I tell about psych meds? No, go ahead. Okay. Well, she lost. She lost it at one point. She, the happy I'm child, happy child, folded up, and it was like her life's dream. And she went into this deep, deep, deep depression. And I'd been depressed all of my life. So what came? What came out of it? Anyway, she went into a deep, deep depression. It took her about two or three years to come out of it before she got out of it. But, but she told me, "Deal with it." I said, "Come on, quit being depressed. Get out of bed." She pretty much said, fuck you, find a way to deal with it. So I did. There was a therapist in our life at that time who knew both of us. He said, well, just give me a call, tell me how she's doing. She gets bad enough, we'll take her away, you know. So every day I'd call him up, give him the report, and she stayed at home and came out of yeah. it, you know. Eventually. But anyway, she went to a psychiatrist, <laughs> and she needed medication. And the psychiatrist says, how can I help you today? And I said, or what's your problem? No, you know? said, what can I do for you today? Yeah. And I said, if I knew that, you stupid motherfucker, I wouldn't be here. I said, you need a better opening line. So that's where recovery came in. I put yeah. my hand on her and just kind of patted her a little yeah. bit. And I says, Calm down. let me answer the questions, please. Okay. Our time is up. Okay. Richard, Richard and Brita, we have another question oh, okay. back there from a young lady. Uh, could you, okay. could you stand up, please? Yeah. You mentioned about the therapist. Does she or he have to be a student, or as long as they know about it? As long as they know about it. And they can be students. I had a student therapist yeah. one time, and I would literally sit in this room with her, big mirror, instructors, and students on the other side of it. And it's one of the best therapists I ever had, because when we got done, she had gone back to therapy. So, so and yeah. she, she was not She didn't know much about it, no. No, she learned. Yeah. I was wondering if you guys ever worked the steps together. No. No. <laughs> That's the last thing in the world. It's like, hey, you might want to work the steps on that. You know, it's like no, I might as well leave. We don't even tell each other. Yeah. You need to call your sponsor. You need yeah. to work the steps. We don't do anything. The closest of that. I get are you taking your meds? Yeah. You know, because I can tell when she's gone I'm off the deep end. Yeah. 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 Does anybody else have any questions? Or uh, I have one. Okay. <clears throat> you started out in... No. No? No. You no. started here. here. You started here, then yeah. you went to the AA program. Yes. Was it easy to pull away from the again or and go to mostly... Was that a... How did that transition work for you? Because you said you don't do much anymore. No. Very rarely. To me, yeah. personally is not safe. Okay. It is not a safe place to share gut level. As long as you want to talk about, you know, happiness and flowers and, you know, the recovery stuff, um, it's okay. But boy, if I get down to anything gut level, somebody jumps on me either during the meeting or afterwards. So... But you even find that here. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes... Mean, the same thing here. happens. I mean, Secret we're all trying to get well. learning to stand up for myself. And yeah. if somebody... I mean, I wanted to share something, and I said before I shared... I don't want to hear anybody's opinion on this subject. And then I shared, guy comes up to me after the meeting and says, can I share now? And I said, no, and then he went ahead and shared anyway. So it's kind of like, to me, that's what it's all about is boundaries, protecting, protecting myself. There's going to be people that 
aren't okay with that, no matter where I go. I just find that overall meets most of my 12-step needs. Yeah. The reverse side of that is if somebody is just getting sober and they want to come to I always suggest they wait a year because I've seen a lot of people who come to and they go, oh, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just an and I've known two of them who died. So, you know, alcoholism is deadly. It can be deadly too, but alcoholism is for real deadly and people need a good grounding in that. Um, we just happen to come in the back door. I think we have one more question in the back. Okay. Just want to throw a softball question to you. You have to speak up because it's being recorded. Just want to throw a softball question out. <laughs> okay. Make it a basketball. I've been hearing you in meetings on Saturday mornings. For other people that are like newer, is there three or four tips or tricks that you could offer for uh, people that are new to the fellowship? Three or four what? Three or four tips, tips that you can offer advice. people that are new to the fellowship, please. Um, Find a sponsor. Yeah, keep coming back. Yeah. Just go to more and more and more meetings. And if you don't like the meeting, quit going to it and go to another one. And if you don't like that one, start one of your own. You know, get two or three people together and start a meeting if you need to. But just, you know, keep coming to meetings because it's truly the fellowship. It's not the books. It's not... I mean, working the steps, yes, but we do that as a fellowship. You know, I like doing it in a step study. You can do it alone with a sponsor, but I think it's better if we do it together. You know, it's all of us together that help us get well. Right. But like she talked about the steps and I didn't know anything about them. So she had a way, it was like you'd write out whatever was bothering you, call her up and tell her. And she worked me through the steps. And that's the way I learned to work him and it worked for me. And years later, like 18 years, I was sponsoring this kid in AA and he says, I'm gonna do the steps like it says in the big book. I'd never done that, so I thought, yeah, great idea. Sat down and I did them. And I had always known I was a victim, but working those steps and seeing me in each one of those, being a victim, it just like made perfect sense to me. I remember I called up and I said, told her story how I'd done the steps and what I found out. And she said, well, if you would just kept working the way we were doing it, you'd have gotten there. And I thought, you know, who really cares? Yeah. I got there. It, it's nothing about what you did. This is my life and what worked for me, and it's okay. You know, so I'm, I'm a big believer. It's a 12-step program. That's it. it. made me write. I couldn't talk. I was not allowed to call up and complain about anything. If it wasn't on a piece of paper, she wouldn't listen to me. And I got to the point where I was learned how to live with this stuff. I could, like, write volumes of crap put it in my back pocket, and just go about my business. The secret was putting it on a piece of paper, and it was out of my head. And she would call me up. If she hadn't heard from me in a month, she'd call up and say, how big is that lump in your back pocket? And I said, not big enough to call you yet. When it gets there, I'll call you. And for me, that is what worked. If it hadn't been for her and those steps and just like being willing to open the door and not close it again, because there were a lot of opportunities to close the door again. And each time I had to say, nope, not yet. You know, we've gone this far, we're going to go a little further. So. And I want to close with one last thing. On the days that I think I can't stand Richard one more day, I look around at the people at meetings and the people that he works with, and I see how much they love and respect him. And I think, well, he can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> and it keeps me there one more day. <laughs> right. 
Let's give them a bigger round of applause than that, you guys. Come on. Thanks for joining me for this episode. It was produced by me, Brita Firm, and edited by Vaughn David. Our music is by Emmanuel Wilde. If you like what you heard, please leave a positive review and tell a friend. Also, tap subscribe and notifications so you won't miss a single episode. Remember, as you walk your reparenting path, you can take your time. You deserve all the love you want, and my love goes with you.